from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. Welcome to U.S. Farm Report. This weekend, we are on the road bringing you the show from the 2022 World Pork Expo here in Des Moines, Iowa. I'm Tyne Morgan, and here's what's in store over the next 60 minutes. Fresh data shows pork exports continue to slide. We think that imports do rebound. We think that China's pork imports have probably bottomed as we speak. Why positive signals are surfacing for U.S. pork the second half of this year. A story in sustainability rooted in facts and figures. We're able to better impact the environment and take more CO2 out of the atmosphere and store it in the ground. How a groundbreaking new on-farm study shows some pork producers are already carbon neutral. And in John's world, our wings over. Now for the news, gas prices continue to smash records. Gas Buddy says the new national average for the U.S. has topped $5. And there's still no end in sight due to the summer travel season just getting underway. Rising demand for gas along with oil prices higher around the globe due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen grilled about gas prices before the House Ways and Means Committee this week. I guess the bottom line question is, is this increase in fuel prices intentional on the Biden administration? It because it seems to me that it is irrefutable. It, it is an enormous burden on American households. And of I agree. Course, I agree. It, it seems like it's an intentional effort on the, the Biden administration. The president is authorized uh, a million barrel a day release from the strategic which is a drop in the bucket. It's a, it, it's a showpiece, and you know it. You know it's a there showpiece. There are 9,000 permits for they want, they want the American Mr. people Rice, paying more for gas to ease the great transition. Mr. Rice, could we let the secretary answer, please? Sure. There are 9,000 permits that have been issued that the oil and gas sector can take advantage of and 20 million acres of public lands under lease right now that are not being produced on. She also said the U.S. needs to become more dependent on solar and wind energy instead of oil, which is vulnerable to global markets. The biofuel industry says record gas prices are fueling huge interests in blending more and higher blends of ethanol. Renewable Fuels Association President and CEO Jeff Cooper says, quote, we're seeing unprecedented interest in the wholesale market and blending sector in E15. We're seeing E85 sales really taking off in certain parts of the country. He says on average, ethanol is selling for $1.30 less than gas. And escalating input costs, including the cost of gas and diesel, appear to be factoring into this month's CME Group Purdue University Ag Economy Barometer. The barometer plummeting to a rating of just 99. It was 121 last month. That's the weakest farmer sentiment since April of 2020. Ag producers' perceptions of current conditions on their farms, as well as future expectations, both weakened this month. For the second month in a row, we asked producers what they expect to see for cost in 2023 relative to 2022. And roughly one out of five producers continue to tell us that they expect to see a rise in input prices of 20% or more in 2023, on top of the huge rise in input prices that's already taken place in 2022. Now, fewer producers this month said that they did experience difficulty in purchasing crop inputs than reported having difficulty throughout the winter and early spring. Purdue researchers say this suggests input availability did not impact planting progress this spring. Well, grain markets around the world are watching and waiting for any progress in talks to allow Ukraine to resume shipments to the world. 
Russia claims two major ports in Ukraine on the Sea of Azov, which it had seized, are ready to resume grain shipments. But Russia appears to still be targeting grain facilities. This storage site in the southern part of the country was destroyed last weekend. The European Council president is accusing Russia of using food supplies as, quote, a stealth missile against developing countries. He's also blaming the Kremlin for the looming global food crisis. A Kremlin spokesperson is pushing back, saying Ukraine needs to demine approaches to ports so the Russian military can clear ships to export grain. Well, the latest export data shows that beef exports continue to smash records, while pork exports continue to be soft this year. Even with export obstacles around the globe, U.S. Meat Export Federation says that April beef exports topped $1 billion for the third time this year. Export value climbed to 33% to $1.05 billion, just missing the record set in March. Now, pork exports still feeling the impact and challenges in China. Exports for the month were down 21% in volume during April. Value was down 20%. USMEF says shipments to Mexico remain on a record pace. As we get into the last half of the year, we're looking for an upturn on pork uh, in terms of year-on-year -year comparisons. Uh, down 20% at the moment year-to-date. Our forecast is still down only 5% year-to-date, which would make it the third largest year ever for pork exports. That's it for the news. Well, some damaging storms across parts of the country this week. We will get a check of weather next. It's time to sign up for the 2022 United Pork Americas Conference in Orlando, Florida. Register today at unitedporkamericas.com and join us September 7th through the 9th. Time now for a check of weather with meteorologist Matt Urasavik. Matt, last year during World Pork Expo, we saw triple digit heat this year, upper 70s. But that weather that was calm came after damaging storms to parts of Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, even Illinois this week. Yeah, Tyne, we did see some of those storms uh, really through the middle part of the country over the last couple of days. And, and that really helped some of our drought conditions, but again, causing a little bit of damage with uh, the threat for the tornadoes was there as well as those strong, gusty straight line winds. And that's still going to improve uh, some of these areas that are kind of abnormally dry east of where we see all that drought, which we've seen there for uh, quite a bit of this past year, uh, but a little bit of abnormally dry conditions right along the East Coast, the Southeast Coast, parts of Florida as well. But then once you get back into parts of Louisiana and Eastern Texas, things are improving. We've seen some showers, some storms back there, but really from Central and West Texas on back to the Pacific Coast to through Florida, right through the San Joaquin Valley, big growing region there, up through parts of Nevada and almost the entire state of New Mexico under uh, at least extreme to almost exceptional drought conditions. So very hot, very dry back there in the west. And that's going to continue to be the case. Just a little improvement up here along the north, and we're going to see a little bit more of that as we head through this week. Here's a look at the root zone. Root zone improving just a little bit, uh, especially for parts of Kansas, Oklahoma, and even parts of Texas. Then if we go up to the Dakotas, you see a little bit more blue there, even parts of Wyoming and Montana, and then extremely wet right along the Pacific Coast there, Oregon, and up into Washington State and Southern Florida. After that tropical weather moved on through, a lot of rainfall there in Southern Florida as well, and beginning to dry out. Again, 
in the east, mid-Atlantic and northeast as well. Now as we head through Monday and into this week, the heat is going to build. We're going to be looking at 80s, 90s all the way north into the northern Great Lakes. It'll stay unsettled here in the northern Rockies. The storm system moving through will keep it a little bit cooler there. It'll still be hot and dry though in the southwest and hot and humid in the east, but look at this ridge doesn't go anywhere. It continues to build through the end of the week. The heat, the humidity not going anywhere, and it even sticks around as we head into next weekend where we could be looking at even maybe some record heat or at least a run at record heat all the way up into the Dakotas and even southern parts of Canada. So here's a look at Monday. Not a ton going on. The storm system in the northern plain states there across the northern Rockies. A storm system exiting the northeast and then some showers and storms along a cold front in the south. Otherwise hot and humid in the east, hot and dry in the west. That continues to be the theme through Wednesday. That storm system moving through the Great Lakes and more showers out ahead of that warm front here as the heat and humidity continue to work their way up into the east. And here's a look at Friday. Most of the country hot dry and humid east of the uh, really the, the Rockies and then the storm system exiting on the east coast and that will continue to be the case. Temperatures this week much above average in the east and below normal back in the northern Rockies. And here's a look at the precipitation below normal right through the center part of the country. A couple spots out west though could be looking good and a little bit of help with the drought monitor. Time back to you. Thanks, Matt. Well, hog numbers are down already this year, but will contraction continue to support hog prices in the months ahead? And what about those feed prices? We have an experienced panel to dive into the marketing discussion next. Dermot Hayes, Joe Kearns, as well as Steve Meyer. Join me from World Pork Expo next. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report this weekend from here at World Pork Expo in a gorgeous Des Moines, Iowa today. Well, really the theme so far this year, Steve, has been this reduction that we've had in the nation's hog herd. What is driving that, and do you think that continues? Well, we've been cutting the sow herd some ever since the pandemic began, and so the sow herd is smaller than it has been in past years, uh, hanging very close to six million head. It's not a big liquidation at this point. I think we're gonna be kind of sideways. We'll have some negative numbers on the sow herd probably, but they'll be small. Um, uh, the, the big thing that drove it was losses in 2020 when prices fell so drastically uh, during the pandemic shutdowns of our, our, uh, our packing plants and those kinds of things. Last year was a great year of recovery though because pork demand was so strong and producers had very strong profits and so we're kind of going sideways here. Yeah. It's not that we're cutting very much now but we're not growing for sure and the reason we're not growing uh, there's a lot of them. Production costs being at the top of the list, building costs being up yeah. there, labor availability. There are a lot of reasons. Well, one of those costs that we've seen rise significantly is on the feed cost side of things, Joe. And as we look at the crop now pretty much in the ground, as we see some of the growing conditions favorable, do you think that feed prices have, have topped and we will see, see some relief the second half of the year? No, I, I don't see that at all. And we're as close to normal as humanly possible uh, as far as planning progress is concerned. Uh, development slightly behind schedule. We've got some warmer temperatures coming that should help uh, uh, speed that along. Uh, lots of rain that we've had here in the last week or so, and so uh, the, the sunshine will be welcome as long as it doesn't persist into the heart of the growing season. Uh, but, but we're in a, an era where the carryout to use ratios relative to price have completely disconnected themselves. 
uh, th that we are approaching the high values that we'd seen in 2008, in 2012. Those were largely US-centric uh, production issues, and we've got a global condition right now where, where uh, if, you're a, if you're a US pork producer right now, you're paying $8 plus for cash corn, uh, whereas if you're in China, you're $12 for corn, $22 for soybeans, and uh, $600 for soybean meal. So we've got a, a global situation. Inflation is certainly not helping those matters whatsoever. Uh, but this is probably a market where setbacks are need to be bought rather than tops are need to be sold. Well, Joe mentioned exports. And Dermot, that's one of those that has not been a bright stop spot when it comes to the pork industry this year. Is that just because of China backing off from buying, or do we have enough pork to export at this point? It, it's China and it's price. Uh, our prices right now are, are off the charts compared to uh, even China. We're actually a little bit higher than in China, live hog prices. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of pork in China. The EU product that would have gone to China is available for Asian markets, and it's pushing, pushing ours back. Um, fortunately, we had that strong domestic demand in the first quarter, and that, uh, that absorbed product that might have gone into the export market too, and it kept our prices up. Um. We've seen some phenomenal demand in Mexico. We've seen Dominican Republic come in. I mean, there are some bright stop spots when it comes to exports. But when do you think China does come back to the market and will we see them return to levels like we saw last year? So they, they have a futures market and it's not predicting a return to profitability at all uh, looking forward. Uh, so they're going to have to liquidate those, those highly leveraged buildings. And uh, that would that probably take six months to a year and then you wait another six months to a year and we'll see demand come back in China. So Steve, as you know, you talked about contraction. We look at some of the issues with feed prices. You look at exports. Do you think hog prices can continue to see strength the remainder of this year? Uh, strength, yes. Enough strength? That's the question because Joe's right. Our costs are not going down. Uh, and in fact, they may go up before they go down. And we don't see any real respite on this cost of production thing until not next year, but the next year, 2024. Um, hog prices have been strong, but this is one of those things where the cost situation is not what has driven hog prices so far. Uh, it's just been serendipitous that we had extremely strong domestic demand that has caused those prices to be high, and that's still the case. Uh, we just got the data yesterday for April exports, which also completed the data for April domestic consumption. Demand, pork demand is up over 6% from a year ago, and that was record high last year, domestic demand. So if that can continue, I think we'll hold these hog prices in so that we don't see a lot of red ink on the, on the producer side. Uh, now, that's a pretty big if, given you're looking at uh, higher inflation, you're looking at the possibility of a, of, of a recession, a number of things. All right, well, there are, are a lot of risks. So it's essential to manage margins, and we'll kind of get into what your game plan should be. We'll do that later on U.S. Farm Report, but let's take a quick break, and then we'll have much more right here on U.S. Farm Report. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by National Pork Board and the Pork Checkoff, celebrating real pork and real farmers. For more, visit porkcheckoff.org. Well, chicken has been a fierce competition for pork the past decade, but there may be signs pork could be winning in the meat aisle again. Here's John Phipps. Okay, before this week's exciting report, a note about mugs. I took a month off from mailing to help plant and spray, and I will start shipping again this week. 
about 120 plus some odd mugs have been mailed and my remaining inventory will be allocated out to the best questions and some just random selections. Thank you for the 600 plus entries, about 500 more than I planned. Now, the decades-long story of U.S. meat consumption can be summed up in the question, how many nuggets can kids eat anyway? Propelled by deep-fried cooking speed and an entire menu of sauces, chicken's inoffensive taste made it a perfect fit for picky kids or eating on the run. Of course, the fact that chicken is consistently priced well below red meat has something to do with it, too. This graph is what pork and beef producers have been staring at and poultry producers celebrating for my entire life. On top of this trend, wings happen, and chicken consumption dove into a brave new sauce. I'm not dismissing the remarkable feats of the chicken industry, but I, I never really understood the appeal of wings. For example, they rank right up there with ribs for messy eating. They have a low ratio of nutrition obtained to work involved, right up there with blue crabs in my opinion. I didn't even know where the name buffalo came from until I read about a bar in Buffalo, New York where they were supposedly invented in 1964. Then the pandemic triggered an explosion, explosion in deliverable foods. Wings could travel well, so to speak. They became linked to major ball games since they could wait patiently in a warming pan while a 60-minute game is crammed into a four-hour television marathon. They became the priciest part of chicken after languishing below breast prices for years. At one time, they were simply ground into animal feed. But maybe all the hot sauce has caught up to us because wings are coming back to Earth. This is a tiny light in a long dark tunnel for other protein producers, but maybe we're exhausting the ways to flavor up chicken to compete with red meat. Thanks, John. You will not find any chicken wings on that grill here at Pork Expo this week. I can guarantee you that. All right, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, Machinery Pete, he has tractor tails this weekend. Hey, welcome back to Tractor Tales, folks. This week we're going to head to Iowa to check out a couple tractors in the fence row. I do on the side custom fencing. Build fence and take them out with the things in the back. And, and if, like I said, if you put them in, you got to be able to take them out. The M Farm all there, we bought it in 1980. Shortly after that, we put a driver on it. After that, we put a post puller on the back. And then the 4020, I bought that in 86, and a couple years later I put a driver on it, and then we put a post puller on the back of that. The M motor, I've never ever touched it since 1980. It was supposedly overhauled when I got it. The transmission has been, it was redone two winters ago. The 4020's had clutches in it, and other than that, it's been good. And so the same way with the 4020, I got a, a thing on the back to pull out post, a post puller, I call it. These drivers both got tilts on them, so you don't have to crank it if you're on a side hill. The advantage of the M versus the John Deere is when you're pulling up to the wire, you don't run over the straight line wire on the fence. You're not running over, it's just right there in the wire. But the 4020 there, you run over the wire when you're you know, driving post. So there, there's an advantage. 
4020 is easier to drive, of course, than an M. However, the M's got power steering. My dad has uh, uh, 800 and some acres up there and always a lot of fencing to do. So that's why, why we did the water post driver. I always wanted one without springs because springs cost money to replace and I just added weight to it. To, to make it heavier so it hits harder and, and without breaking any springs. So the other one, it's got springs on it. You got to stretch them before you use it, raise it up and let it stretch. And then, uh, so you don't, they call it seasoning of the springs. So you let it stretch and, and then you start pounding. Otherwise it shocks the springs and breaks them. Like being outside and kind of my own boss and we all get along good and it's just kind of fun to be out and about. Thanks, Greg. Well, 2021 crushed records for pork exports. And while those shipments have softened a bit in 2022, the diversity of exports is a bright spot in demand. We'll navigate the complex exporting waters next. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report, trusted, timely tradition. 2021 was a banner year for pork exports. Despite COVID, demand in China was firing on all cylinders and other countries were also stepping up to the plate. This year, COVID lockdowns have partially dampened demand from China, but other countries stepping up has really diversified that demand. And that's this weekend's Farm Journal Report. Ships just setting at sea, containers piling up at ports, all signs of challenges the export business has faced. We, we need to continue to make sure those those bottlenecks are are slowly eliminated over time. It gives us an opportunity to move more product uh, outside of the U.S. David Newman is a pork producer in South Central Missouri, and he's seen firsthand how essential export demand is to the entire pork industry. You could talk about uh, high, the, the high cost of diesel, the high cost of feed, the outlook on feed, uh, or you can look at this half full and look at demand because demand is amazing. U.S. Meat Export Federation says the most recent export data shows April pork exports were down 21% from last year's large number. Export value was down 20%. The biggest turbulence for pork exports has been China, with exports during the first quarter of this year off 56% from last year. We knew that it was going to be a temporary surge. And we had that forecast, but still not to the degree that, you know, imports did actually decline. Aaron Borer says USMEF new shipments to China would be down due to a number of hurdles. They have this whole cold chain on food concern. And so they've been testing, uh, disinfecting and tracing imported food products, including our frozen pork and pork variety meats. So that has added costs uh, going all the way back even into kind of mid 2020. The other issue is the hangover effect from the pork export surge due to African swine fever in China. So I'm not sure we get back to where uh, we, we would have been in uh, 2020 in, in the heyday of, of a lot of trade to China. However, I think we get recovery and, and, and it'll just be perhaps more muted as we go forward. USMEF says China Hong Kong is still a dominant destination for U.S. pork. Even with the zero COVID policy that shuttered streets in Shanghai and put the area into severe lockdowns, those restrictions are now starting to ease. We think that imports do rebound. We think that China's pork imports have probably bottomed as we speak. And with the country opening back up, it's also painting more optimism for exports overall the rest of this year. But we also think that exports, total U.S. exports trend above year ago for the second half of the year. 
year. And so some of that is China coming back, but some of that is continued growth into Mexico, into the Dominican Republic, into Central America. One country hungry for U.S. pork is Mexico, with exports on fire in March, up 24% from last year. Thank goodness uh, we've seen the growth that we have in the first few months of 2022 to Mexico. Otherwise, we'd be in a much uh, tougher situation uh, talking about where U.S. exports sit. Newman recently traveled to Peru and Dubai. He says globally the opportunity for U.S. pork is remarkable. Really just heading south in general, Mexico, a tremendous opportunity. Been a flagship market for us for years. Um, the DR, Chile, Peru, Colombia, all those markets are, are hungry for U.S. products. Colombia's production had been growing, but they just haven't been able to keep pace with consumption growth. And so that's a, a great story where your domestic industry is still growing, but you still need imports to meet that demand. Looking ahead, Newman says diversifying demand for U.S. pork is essential. We're still seeing a huge value market, not only in you know Japan, Mexico, those markets, but then also the opportunity we have uh, you know, in, in, in new and emerging markets and down in South America, we're going to be able to, to plant a flag in that. And those will be markets that in 2040 we'll be talking about. That's why USMEF is not only pushing for more trade agreements that remove tariff and non-tariff barriers, but also looking into untapping the taste potential and other benefits of pork. We're able to reach this consumer digitally. Pork in the region has some misperceptions about health, for example. So educating on the healthy attributes, and we've done this in Mexico as well, and then uh, educating on the barbecue-related concepts. Growing appetites one country at a time is why the pork industry thinks the remainder of 2022 is looking up. But if things maintain where they're at and consumer spending power stays high, and we can we can hold on to these markets we will we, we will all fare very well in 2022 and and into 2023 as well well another area of focus is the dominican republic usmef says exports were already gaining strength prior to african swine fever hitting the country nearly a year ago but with the virus exports to the dominican have shot up 94 percent from a year ago even smashing the record in March of this year. Well, when we come back, our marketing roundtables kick back off with National Pork Board at World Pork Expo next. Find farm equipment on Machinery Pete's June 21st online auction. No reserve, no buyer fees. Start bidding now at auctions.machinerypete.com. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report this weekend from World Pork Expo. Well, Joe, we talked a lot about some of the risks and some of the challenges and just what else could happen the second half of this year? But for pork producers watching, how essential is it to manage those margins right now? It's probably never been more critical. And so the, the good news is we probably we absolutely have more tools to manage risk than we've ever had before, even to the point, and I was sharing in a speech that I just recently presented, that normally we pride ourselves on being able to ordinarily uh, identify the parameters that are going to move a market. Uh, and, and one of the questions that I posed to the audience was if I, if I, you know, if the genie came out and said, here's the answer to whatever you see is the most pressing question, would you bet a huge amount of money on it? And the answer had better be no, because there are so many moving parts about what is the, what is the market driver at any one point in time continues to shift and move. 
uh, and whether it's the, the, the Putin experience over in Ukraine and what that means for grain movement and grain pricing, uh, the South American crop, the U.S. crop that, that you'd identified earlier, uh, the, the, these are all huge question marks. And so when we get an opportunity to, to forward lock in some margins, utilizing whether it's through insurance or options, uh, we have to start to participate on those levels until we get to a more certain time. And, and I'm uh, uh, anticipating that that time is not a short distance away, that we're probably in this two to three year window that Dr. Meyer had described. Uh, the, the good news is, is there is enough forward margin right now in order to keep us in business and in order to see the light of another day. Uh, the bad news is, is that we're gonna have to change our uh, traditional game plan and to adapt to the then current situation. And I see this one holding on. Dermot, one thing I don't even like to mention is African swine fever, but ASF, that concern, that what if, is that having an impact on production here? I think so. The, the, early, earlier we were chatting about why the industry didn't get back into expansion mode in 2021, and I think it's that extra risk. You, you need to be compensated with a risk premium because you're facing probably a 50% decline in prices if that thing shows up. And I might add that that's not just a fear of, of Af getting African swine fever. <laughs> It doesn't matter if, whether somebody in Iowa gets African swine fever if somebody in Puerto Rico gets it, okay? Because then the price impact is still the same because our exports are going to get blocked. So, when you look at some of the other prices at the meat counter, you know, Steve, you look at you look at, at poultry prices, you look at beef prices. It seems like pork prices are positioned well. Do you think we can withstand if we do see inflation even intensify or even go into a recession? Well, the place that inflation affects us is not in our own prices. High pro pork prices are, are a sign of strong pork demand. High beef prices are a sign of strong beef demand. And if we look at the relationship between general pork, beef, and chicken prices, that's not individual cuts, they're kind of normal right now as far as ratios go. The place where, where inflation hits us is that it reduces the spending, the buying power of consumers' incomes. And so their discretionary dollars will get smaller and smaller as they have to pay more for gasoline and transportation and other items. And face it, you know, we're a discretionary item in many people's purchases, or at least the quantity they buy is discretionary. And if they don't have enough money, they're probably going to cut back on, on, on their purchases of meat. So that's where I'm, I'm concerned about inflation. And I, if we can get it under control pretty quickly before it gets built into the expectations of consumers, I think we'll be all right. But uh, right now, it's a, it's a big concern. Joe, what do you see as the biggest opportunity for pork producers the second half of this year? Uh, the prob probably that if you are able to secure the price of your grain, if we if we pull back uh, under seven dollars recently, we were at six eighty five plus or minus. And again, we're going to have to buy the breaks. Is going to be our, our key side on the production side. Uh, I'm I am pseudo optimistic that we're going to be able to hold this thing together. You've got uh, October hogs a little bit less than ninety five dollars right now. Uh, th that that kind of keeps you at least hold to somewhat uh, some some light red numbers coming into the fourth quarter and I think the key is going to be to hold on to the promise of what can be and and uh, so our, our actions are going to be de uh, in a defense mode more than 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 I'd like to see uh, but anytime we see setbacks in the input side they've got to be secured all right Joe Steve Dermot thank you so much for joining us this weekend let's take a quick break and then we'll have much more right here on US Farm Report U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by National Pork Board and the Pork Checkoff, celebrating real pork and real farmers. For more, visit porkcheckoff.org.
Well, sustainability is more than just a buzzword for pig farmers. The industry is now turning farmers' sustainability story into tangible tidbits that could help secure a pork producer's seat at the dinner table for decades to come. Step onto Lucas Fricky's farm in Ulysses, Nebraska. I get to work on a family farm. Really lucky to be able to farm with my brother Brendan, my mom Lori. And you'll see along with another longtime employee, Mike. And we grow kids, crops, and pigs. The Frickies are carrying on a family legacy rooted for six generations. It's a lot of fun all doing this all together. My dad started it, he passed away, and so we got to be able to continue it on. Planting seeds of conservation, Lucas's dad adopted cover crops nearly 15 years ago. And while Lucas continues to uncover new opportunities, he's not immune to the challenges this year. We're worried about are we going to have enough extra nitrogen that we're not already getting from hogs to be able to help in turn grow that corn crop for next year's pig crop. The other major concern is having enough people at the packing plants to which he sends his hogs. That's something that I've actually experienced quite a few times trying to take pigs. We're now scheduling around moving loads, um, taking them on and off simply because the employee force is not there all the time. The availability and proximity to the nearest packing plant isn't just about business. It also has a major impact on his relationship with the environment. I really never even knew our carbon impact. I never understood what a water footprint was until I started to look at it. And I know a lot of people want to maybe paint a bad picture for production agriculture, you know, using barn raise, barns to raise our animals, um, or using synthetic uh, fertilizers or crop protection products. Those aren't scary things. Those are a part of the solution. Lucas, along with other pork producers, recently came together to set sustainability goals for the pork industry. And that was one of the things that they really thought about is what is right for our industry. We want to be aggressive enough. We, set in a, we did an assessment of the needs of the supply chain members as well as external stakeholders and looked, frankly, at what types of measures we're going to need to employ in our industry to actually achieve those. The environmental goals set by Pork Board include continuously improving water use efficiency and by the year 2030, reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the pork industry by 40%. One thing we have to remember is that everything that improves the productive capabilities of the pork industry is a sustainability practice. And so there is a very long list of those practices in barn as well as in the field. In order to measure and communicate the strides made in sustainability, the National Pork Board created an on-farm sustainability report for pig farmers. One thing we've realized from doing a life cycle assessment and other assessments of our industry is that 50% of our footprint comes from the feed that we feed our animals. Until you start sitting down and doing the accounting and say, I'm using less diesel fuel, I'm having less passes, I'm using less water, which is less electricity to pump water. They all add up in the end to help create a better product. From measuring tillage and fuel used to grow crops to the manure his farm produces, Lucas says his on-farm sustainability report was a game changer. Because I'm using row crop and I'm using less passes and I'm using my hog manure, we're able to better impact the environment and take more CO2 out of the atmosphere and store it in the ground. From that assessment, Lucas found just in one year, their farm management practices accounted for taking 207 average passenger vehicles off the road, five rail cars of coal saved from being burned, as well as 3,585 tons of soil, which equates to 224 dump trucks that was saved from being lost to erosion. And it really helped us understand that every little thing that we do, every little less pass across the field, help add up.
um, and really create a difference. It's really not that hard of a process. You're already using it for your end of the year break-even calculations. Honestly, it helped us figure out where we can go, where we can improve, and where we can do even better. Crucial conversations that Lucas knows can help secure a future where pork remains at the table. Now, Lucas also started a company that can follow pork all the way from farm to the store via blockchain. He says that's also a vital piece of the puzzle. And to discover your farm sustainability footprint, just go to National Pork Board's website. Well, when we come back, it's not just inflation that could impact meat demand in the U.S. John Phipps joins us next. Well, economists continue to watch inflation and the impact that it's having on meat demand, but there's another factor that could also play a part in meat consumption, and it comes in the form of a tick. We have a troubling email for red meat producers anyway from Brian Hall in Anderson, Missouri. I would appreciate any information you might be able to share on the increasingly common allergy of alpha-gal. This is a tick-borne condition which creates an allergy to mammal meat, pork and beef. This is becoming much more common, at least in my area of the Ozarks. I know several people diagnosed with this. The symptoms can vary greatly, but include anxiety and increased heart rate. It is often difficult to diagnose because doctors are not yet familiar with this condition. The only treatment I'm aware of is to stop consuming mammal-based products which not only includes beef and pork, but also many other products, including bottled water and gel caps because of the mammal-based gelatins used in these products. My concern is not only for the victims, but as a, a, also as a cattle producer, the eventual effects on the meat industry. Uh, the great question. My colleague at Farm Journal, Rhonda Brooks, wrote a very helpful column about the spread of different ticks across the U.S. and some of the issues it is causing. One big emerging threat is alpha-gal, which is short for galactose-alpha, a carbohydrate deposited by the tick that tr triggers a severe allergic reaction in the digestive system after eating red meat. Since its identification in 2002, various ticks have been classified as spreaders all around the world. Here in the U.S., it's the Lone Star Tick. Warmer winters and greater host populations of deer and mice have spread the range of all ticks, too. Your information is correct. There is no antidote, although the reaction can fade in one to five years. Not great news. Poultry and fish, fish do not trigger reactions. The condition is serious, but there are no reporting requirements for health authorities, and hence no diagnosis numbers yet to show how fast it is spreading. With Lyme disease now well known, parasite spread diseases get media attention. The problem for cattle producers is similar to the gluten celiac disease issue. While few may be bitten, any digestive trouble people experience may now be self-diagnosed as mammal meat allergy, MMA, simply because more people have heard of it. Wheat growers were blindsided by the number of both actual and misdiagnosed gluten allergies. Especially due to the yuck factor of tick bites, we may see an aversion to pork and beef. Careful statistical analysis and numbers will probably not help either. I expect people to have near zero tolerance for this type of illness. Meat consumption in areas of alpha-gal cases will probably be affected.
Thanks, John. And you can catch both John's world and customer support on our Farm Journal YouTube page. All right, we need to take a quick break. Then when we come back, we're firing up the grills from right here at World Pork Expo. Well, World Pork Expo here in Des Moines draws quite the crowd each year, including grilling enthusiasts. And as Farm Journal's pork editor, Jennifer Scheich, shows us, they're turning up the heat to serve up the meat. We got started, uh, Sons of Butchers obviously is, uh, gets everybody talking, but I grew up, uh, my dad was a butcher. My brothers helped compete with us. I had a good friend. His dad was also a butcher. So Sons of Butchers became the name of our uh, barbecue team. And we uh, started competing in the Kansas City Barbecue Society uh, events in the upper Midwest uh, over the last 10 years. What's the secret to grilling or smoking good ribs? Well, I'll show you here. Probably one of the best things you can do is don't be afraid to wrap your ribs. So a lot of people will put their ribs on, on a grill or a smoker and they'll just keep cooking them until they're done. Always take a pause. I like to put them in foil, add a little um, margarine or butter and brown sugar wrap them back up and bring them to a finished temperature and you're gonna love them. They're gonna be fall apart. Most people like fall off the rib bones. You can cook them so they're a little less done, but that's probably one of the best tips that I like when cooking ribs. Don't be afraid to use some aluminum foil. Well, we're leaving you on a hungry note this weekend. That does it for U.S. Farm Report. A big thank you to everyone at the National Pork Board for hosting us this week from World Pork Expo. Be sure to join us again next week as we work to build on our tradition. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.